0: Hello and welcome to the Colts Cover 2 podcast. I am Joel A. Erickson. I am joined, as always, by Nate Atkins. We are taping this on the NBA's trade deadline day. So, Nate, my first question to you is, how many second-round picks did you trade away today? And how many
1: second-round picks did you acquire? Oh, man. It, it's kind of hard to keep track of them. I'm just glad that like neither one of us got traded because then Cover 2 would have changed to like, Cover 1 uh it would have been kind of hard to just do a solo podcast that way but that's what happens on trade deadline days your life gets uprooted and you don't know where you're going um I, my favorite one there were two i think there were two
0: separate trades today that i saw in the nba i know we're a football podcast but this is just fun to
1: talk about um we're also we're also biding time until things happen yeah um I think I saw two trades today where one
0: team gave away five second round picks. (laughs) They traded five second round picks in one deal,
1: like for one player. It was, yeah, that's hilarious. Like it's so different than. The NBA is so funny because you have that. And then you also have them trading like their 2029 first round pick. It was like, someone made the joke to me today. Like how many 2029 draft picks would Chris Bowder be trying to acquire if you could do that in the NFL? uh well the the other
0: thing about it is like like a second round pick in the nba is basically a seventh rounder in the nfl like just i just don't care what happens to this and now now i kind of i very much want chris ballard to trade like his next five seven rounds. Uh, you can't because in the nfl you can only trade picks three years out but I, i want chris ballard to trade like his next five seventh round picks for like i don't know uh a blocking tight end or something
1: so like something like that he did like he did a seventh round pick swap last year for grant stewart uh he's he's done the seventh round pick swap thing a couple times that's Uh, like that's a funny one like i'm not we need to it's like we'll send you a seventh but we better be getting one back those are valuable pieces here yeah i think
0: i think both times it gave him a chance to move up like Right really, now, he traded for Grant Stewart, but I think when they traded maybe Evan Bame away, uh, he ended up moving up like thirty spots or something like that. Because um, <laughs> the seventh round takes forever. Just, just very, very strange to to watch the NBA's trade that trade deadline. I was asleep before the Kevin Durant thing happened, so imagine waking up to that.
1: Um, I was just about to go to sleep, and I was like, I'm not going to sleep right now. Um, yeah, just wild. There there kind of has been
0: people always kind of bemoan the NFL trade deadline, but like there's been a lot more movement of big time players. It just oh, happens yeah. in March. It doesn't happen in at the deadline. But like Tyreek Hill got traded last year, Devontae Adams, AJ uh, Russell Russell Wilson. Like there there's a lot been a lot more movement in the NFL um than than there had been previously.
1: We uh Stanford, we are, AJ Brown. Yeah, it's it's been fun. We'll see if we could be more. Yeah, AJ, the AJ Brown one was interesting because you
0: don't usually see big names get moved during the draft. That yeah, kind so of opened up. That kind of opened up like a whole realm of possibilities because it, it feels like in the NFL, like one team does something, and then it just takes a couple of years and everybody does it. Like uh, when I was covering the Saints, everyone was like, "I don't understand these Saints contracts. They void everything at the back, and it's just so weird that they do it." And that and then the the pandemic hit, and now every team has done that. The Colts have done that um the colts have put uh, void years stuff. To, to move this stuff out like if the colts are doing it that's that's as as far as you get so um we're we're kind of we're kind of vamping a little bit here at the beginning because there's just not a lot of movement right now and there's not going to be a lot of movement probably before you listen to this We're it's thursday the super bowl is sunday i i'm not expecting anything to break on the colts uh head coaching search uh i think Anyone can kind of figure out what that probably means, but um, I think next week is when we're gonna when everyone's gonna get the answers they want. So um, I I think you can reasonably make a guess at which way they're leaning uh, based on based on the information we have. But um, also somewhat important to remember that Chris Fowler likes to do things very quietly, uh, and that leaves open some possibilities. Um, that you have to consider. So I think I think we all kind of know where this is heading. It's it's probably going to be shortly after next week starts. Hopefully for, for my sake, um, hopefully uh, it doesn't quite get out there until after the Super Bowl is over. Uh, I would like to I would like to enjoy one of the nation's greatest holidays. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think people are joking
1: week. that they just they just leaked that in the middle of the Super Bowl. You know, like during a game-winning drive or something? Now, that would uh, not be fun. The Colts,
0: I, from a Colts standpoint, they wouldn't want to do that because then all the
1: attention would yep. be on the game. Well, unless, yeah, it, you'd only do it if you don't want the attention.
0: Well, that's fair.
1: That's, I, I don't think, but yes, In most scenarios, it's not what you want to do. I don't think it's headed. Be like the, it's the NFL's version of the Friday news dump. Just do it like in the in the middle of Patrick yeah. Mahomes is down four and has a just middle of the minutes. game. It's like if you have a save your worst press conference for the year for the middle of Monday night football. And, you know, you just hope you get out of some of the backlash. So,
0: you've seen that, that did
1: not work. That did not work. No, it did not work. <laughs> it did not work
0: at all. In fact, people people covering the game were tweeting about the Colts press conference, if I remember
1: correctly. <laughs> yeah. Um, it was more interesting than the game, which says Who was something. playing? I don't remember. I don't know. No. That was 17 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> it it was.
0: And it feels like this search has taken that long. Um again, I, I know that I know that I think most people can figure out why you wait until after the Super Bowl. Um which, which, if that's if if it's if that is in fact the case, then we we know why the search is taking this long. It's it is exactly this is. Chris Ballard frequently tells us what's going to happen, and then it turns out that way. Like he said in his end of the year press conference, I don't care if it if it takes till mid February, we're going to hire the right coach. Well, we're we're very solidly in mid February right now. Yeah. and as after,
1: we'll, a- after the Super Bowl, we'll be almost dead square middle of February. Yeah, and I, I've tried to explain it that way when I've written about it. Is that like that? I think in the moment when he said that, because it's Ballard and he, he's just, he's kind of emotional and, and, and says a lot of things that, that came off sort of like, like a joke to some people. But no, it's like he was, he was serious about that. That was a, that date meant something. It was, there's a reason he said mid February rather than February 1st, because there's one more game to wait for that this, this sometimes is absolutely going to be a factor. This has happened with the draft too. Like he,
0: he he's frequently said stuff in his pre-draft press conference that sounds like a joke and then that ends up being what happens. Um or something close to it ends up ends up happening. So it, it's it's not really that outside that realm of possibility. I, next week I think we'll have a lot to talk about in terms of who the head coach is, the the staff they're putting together. Um I don't necessarily. I I do think it gets you a little bit behind the eight ball, but if they're if they're gonna keep Gus Bradley in the defensive staff, like it's not really.
1: Also, Boba Ventrone's a possibility to keep too. So
0: yeah, um, and and, if you- and the other thing to remember is they hired Frank Reich super late because of the McDaniel's thing, and Reich was able to assemble a staff that's produced two head coaches already and a rising star in Jonathan Gannon. I mean that's. It's pretty good for for getting hired in late feb in in close
1: to late february you know well and they were they were mashing together a mix of his hires with guys that they brought in for josh mcdaniels which sounds very chaotic and at the time it it seemed that way and then they won 10 games a playoff game which goes to show that while that was not the ideal path people want like it can work out the bigger mistake is hiring the wrong leader at the top so that's why you know he was always going to be as thorough and deliberate as as possible um well and and you
0: know the other thing is the mcdaniel's thing in in general is is the obvious like people are saying why is ballard taking so long josh mcdaniel's like it's the the, sometimes the easy answer is the most obvious one like last time that they didn't do this last time they did five interviews uh they had a round of two they were he was kind of going into it thinking he knew what he wanted uh, settled on Josh McDaniels, and McDaniels backed out on him. And he's always felt that he should have interviewed more people, and he would have got to Frank Reich faster. Like Chris Ballard, I can tell you this right now, does not look at Frank Reich as a failure. He just does it. Um, if you if you read Albert Breer's column from Sports Illustrated earlier this week, Ballard helped Ballard's Ballard helped uh, get Reich's name in there for the Carolina job. Um, so yep. judging by that, judging by that, like. He, he just didn't want the he didn't want the mcdaniel's thing to happen again, and it and they they weren't really in on some of these other names. Well,
1: that's they weren't a, that's really a big on, part of it
0: too. They weren't really in on Sean Payton. They weren't they weren't ever really in on Jim Harbaugh. Um, they, they were only sort of tangibly in on like sort of tangentially in on Dan Quinn. No one was really in on Dan Quinn. It turns out like no one really. Dan Quinn said at the beginning of the process, I know because I wrote it in the story I did on him when he got his first interview. Dan Quinn said, if something blows me away or if there's something that really excites me, then we'll be talking about it later. I'll be talking with you guys later. Like, Dan Quinn laid it down at the beginning just publicly. Like,
1: I'm not going to take a job unless I'm dead sure. Um, yeah. so, and also, uh, D'Amico Ryan's the other one they sniffed around on. And then, he, you know, he did an interview with them and ended up going home. to Texas. He so that's, that's a part of this is that they were always – they wanted to be thorough for all those reasons you laid out about, um, you know, about – the, the Josh McDaniels experience, I think also because they're weighing a couple of different things here with a rookie quarterback coming in It made it you need a few different traits in the building for for leadership and for uh, an offensive plan. And then there just wasn't there just wasn't this obvious candidate like D'Amico Rines is an obvious hire for the Houston Texans and what they're trying to do. Sean Payton, you know, I mean, it was you had to trade for him from the Broncos perspective, but for what they're trying to do and fix with Russell Wilson, that was a pretty obvious hire. There isn't one guy that the Colts interviewed that list of 14. Like the the last time we did this, I think we just every time we talk about these guys, we say, yeah, they could work, but we'll have to see. Like we didn't really have favorites. There wasn't one guy that was like, oh, that's the front runner. That's the guy they got to get. And then because of that, there wasn't the competition from around the league the same way that there would be for a D'Amico Ryans. You don't have to move as fast when, you know, there's a situation now. This is just played out kind of how I think they thought it would, which is. The guys that they're really looking at right now are not in the running for the, the Cardinals job, and that's the only one open other than theirs. So it's just sort of like the situation played out. The circumstances played out to let them be patient, too, they, with what they're looking at.
0: Yeah, they benefited from being in a year where there were only five openings. That's They, they benefited from that. They benefited from another um, development where Carolina fell in love with Reich. Um so obviously that took it really was only four openings that they had to deal with because obviously they weren't rehiring the guy they just fired um so they they benefited with like if this was last year was it 10 last year 10 openings last year um sounds about right. if it's a year where there's 10 openings there's a lot more competition for these guys um and it just wasn't one of those years um I think I saw a report, actually, I think I saw a report that someone said that one of the reasons that Brian Flores pulled out of the Cardinals one is that coaching, I'm assuming this is from the agents, but coaching agents kind of look for, um, they think 2024 is going to be a bigger year for coach movement, which, I mean, that just makes sense. Typically, there's more than five, um, but yeah, just kind of that just kind of underscores like there just weren't a ton of options as compared to what there normally is. So yeah, and
1: the options are they they all had questions in some variety, some form. It wasn't like this job that everyone was lining up for uh, the, for many of these. Uh, you know, that's it's why Dan Quinn pulled out. It's different than you know than some years. I don't know if we get to next year and like you know we'd see a coach retire. Uh, from right. a state a of retire- franchise
0: yeah you get a retirement or you get like um every once in a while you get like a a coach who just kind of like has a a bad year and burns out or something like that you know like like green bay green bay mike mccarthy ran to the end of his rope but aaron rogers was still there so obviously you still want that job you know yeah um stuff like that is a little bit different than and Aaron Rodgers was still playing well it wasn't quite the Russell Wilson situation where Rodgers
1: was not pl- was playing like one of the worst quarterbacks in the NFL you know yeah and there's just enough ownership questions in this small group of five that, that that ends up letting people who feel like they have options to wait like a Dan Quinn and that just happened to be out there like and you think about what the Colts had laid out or, or which when you think about that opening or what they really needed i thought they needed two things primarily which is sort of a strong leader to kind of write this ship, this kind of dysfunctional mess they've had over the past year and get everybody on the same page. But and you know you also need an offensive system for a rookie quarterback. There's no candidate they interviewed that was a clear solution to both of those. And so they have to talk it out and figure out who's the best fit. The guys that struck me as like they could come in and be both of those were Sean Payton and John and Jim Harbaugh. And neither one interviewed for, you know, reasons we can speculate on but either one ended up talking with them so what they were looking at was just a little bit more of a field that you had to you had to dive into and dig into and figure out a lot of these plans and, and personality traits of guys like brian callahan and shane Steichen and that, that aren't as readily available as they are for like sean payton
0: right sean payton coached the saints for a gazillion years like you you know who sean payton is yeah um they uh so what we were planning to do with this podcast, since since the the coaching search is kind of in a lull, is just lessons from from the two Super Bowl teams. Um, I uh, I'm going to start off with the silly one, which is my lesson from the Kansas City Chiefs is find an alien to play quarterback. <laughs> that helps. <laughs> I I saw a reporter I saw a reporter bandying about the idea this week, and this is this is like a. This is like a Bayless level take um, that Jalen Hurts is better suited for today's NFL than Patrick Mahomes. Nice. And I texted that. I texted that to a friend of mine, and he said, he said, he said, the difference is that Mahomes was built by aliens, and Mahomes was, and, and Hurts was built in the bedroom like the rest of us. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> um, I, obviously, obviously, I don't think replicating Mahomes is is possible um you know i i guess it depends on how you feel about
1: i don't know anthony richardson is that the most like physically gifted yeah, person yeah. that's that's the one people bring up you know i had i had a lesson that was kind of similar to that um it's, i guess it's sort really of the inverse of that but to me it was like don't force those quarterbacks you have to develop unless you have the system to do it and so with Mahomes, like I don't think there's an easy assumption that if he goes to the Houston Texans or the Cleveland Browns or the Detroit Lions, that he's the same thing he is now or even anywhere close. Like the process they took to have him come in from the air raid, see that alien like talent, but also understand the whole reason they had a chance at it was he hadn't developed in, in college yet, hadn't had that system in college to bring that out yet. And they have him sit for a year behind Alex Smith and learn Andy Reid's, system which is pretty complex and and do it for an entire year and they were able to afford to do that because they didn't have any needs so they can trade up for a backup quarterback and not sink their team and number two they like the, the leaders they have in place are stable and secure enough to be able to pull it off and kind of shoot down any questions within their team and the outside about why that guy's not playing and they had a good enough quarterback in Alex Smith to play well enough to keep that guy on the bench There's just so many of these different components here that the Colts just don't have anywhere close to it. It's just, especially when you're hiring a new coach, you know, I, you know, yes, it'd be great if I understand the idea of shooting for the moon, especially in the AFC where the quarterback play is so, so high you're trying to match. But to me, you have to have a plan that has any chance of actually getting there. And I think you got to look at how the Eagles or, or the Chiefs put in so many different steps to give Mahomes that chance that, I don't think the Colts have at their disposal, and so if you're going to take a sort of a lower percentage shot, like you're just going to make it lower and lower and lower percentage by not having those pillars of support.
0: There's also there's also sort of a the two teams that we know were enamored with Mahomes are the the Chiefs and the Saints. Um, we know that we know that because, and this is this is one of the weirdest draft day stories that I could ever remember. Uh, the the New Orleans Golf Tournament, the PGA Golf Tournament in New Orleans, is the same week as the draft, or it used to be. I think it might have switched now. Um, and Sean Payton typically played in it in the Pro-Am. Uh, he's he's friends with a couple of golfers. He played in it with, uh, I think, Ryan is it Ryan Palmer. Is that his name? I'm going to get this wrong and ruin it all. Apologies to Kevin Bowen, who's a huge golf fan. If I, no, I got it right. Ryan Palmer. He's friends with Ryan Palmer, and so that year Ryan Palmer was playing with Jordan Spieth, and Peyton invited both of them into the draft room. And uh, the the Chiefs trade up, they take Mahomes, the Saints take Marshawn Lattimore, who that was like a going into that draft for the Saints, they desperately needed a corner, and the whole thought was there's no way Marshawn Lattimore falls that far. and so like it, on draft night, it was like, wow, they got they got the guy. And then the next day, Ryan Palmer or somebody, I think it was Palmer, was at the golf tournament and was like talking about being in there. He's like, Yeah, they had Mahomes all queued up to go. And I was like, What? We were like, What? <laughs> um That's amazing. But it took it took it took, I mean, that's two of the better offensive minds of the last 20 years, Andy Reid and, and Sean Payton, yeah. to to see what Mahomes had. Now, yeah. I will say this. Whatever the Colts think about their situation, if you think someone's an alien, take the alien and just just see if you can get the alien right. I'd rather I'd rather
1: I'd rather take the shot on the alien than anything. But, see, this just kind of hard, difficult conversation though. we talked about about a guy who could eventually become the alien because there's not one in this this year. Like Anthony Richardson, if you look at his numbers, the way he played, he started one year in college, did not perform at that level. Now there are moments that you look at it, the reason people get excited is they break him down and like the arm strength, just the pure tools that sometimes you see are there. But it's like, it's not like the guy's an alien and it's like, well, there's some concerns, but we'll just, we'll try to walk him. It's like, you have to develop that in him and bring it out. And like you bring up the saints and, Chiefs going after Mahomes tells me a couple things. Number one, it's like you said that they could identify that talent, but they also had the system to bring it out. They had two incredible quarterback developers as head coaches. They had quarterbacks who were stable and face of the franchise type guys who could play well enough to keep him on the bench. And then they had talent in their offense to bring him into so that he didn't have to be that alien right away. Now, they it worked out that Mahomes was that alien right away, won MVP his first year doing it. But he wasn't going to have to step in there for a team that was in the playoffs every single year and just immediately have to be that alien. Whereas you would have to be that close, a lot closer to that here with the Colts. They just don't have that, that same stuff. Now that doesn't mean like there's a chance that that plays out that way. There's a chance they hire a, you know, if they decide to hire Brian Callahan or Shane Steichen, and maybe that guy ends up being the next Kyle Shanahan. And, but it, you're banking on so many things happening that are not here in the way that the saints and, uh, Chiefs already knew that they had that, so I just think it's a completely different calculus.
0: Yeah, I can't. I just can't write off the chances of any. This is this is the uh, this is the umbrella coverage that we talked about last time. Joel's Joel's umbrella coverage from the the cover two, where I don't. I'm supposed to have takes because it's a podcast, but I don't really have takes. But like, we well, do have a take.
1: I, you said they should draft Anthony Richardson. I just heard it. No, that's not Before. what I said.
0: I said I said you're the one giving out scouting reports. I don't have scouting reports. Um, As we've discussed on this podcast many times, my scouting reports are incomplete and based on what I was watching on the couch on a Saturday. Um, but if you felt like, because the, the hard part is like, you just don't want to write off the the chance that like, and and I, I'm going to say this this too, I think this is going to kill a lot of teams over the next 10, 15 years. A lot of teams are going to think people are Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes, and they're not. Yeah. Um, but you also don't want to give up the chance at them, which is, I mean, this what, what we're getting into now is sort of the, the difficulty of drafting the quarterback position in general. Like, you would hate to pass up on one of those two guys, but there's also probably going to be a gazillion dry guys drafted. Like, I remember when I was growing up, every year there was like a, a the next Brett Favre, somebody with a cannon who, like, who liked to take chances. And the best one of those was probably Cutler. Probably.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, turns out the the next,
1: it turns out the next one, even though he's a little different, but the closest thing to that was Patrick Mahomes and the guy who drafted him was the guy who was Brett Favre's quarterback. coach. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. You know, like but I just remember, like I remember reading draft guides when
0: I was a kid and like every year there'd be some guy who they like the comp would be like, this guy could be the next Brett Favre. This guy could be the next Brett Favre. And I don't remember who most of them are because most of them didn't pan out. I remember the Cutler comparison, and you know Cutler was
1: a starting Yeah, quarterback, I think,
0: but you don't Rex feel good Grossman, about
1: Rex Grossman Kyle Buller, those guys who just could like throw far, but you know it just didn't amount to much with those guys um so
0: i think I do think that's gonna happen in this draft like in in these draft class classes, but then well there's also there's also the part about wondering like you know. Is it possible to
1: replicate the Josh Allen thing? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, no, it's, it's a fair point. Like, what's interesting about this is a year ago, or it feels like a year ago, close to a year ago, when the Colts <laughs> acquired Matt Ryan, I was talking about, like, if this comes together, they could be one of those teams that feels like they have the pillars in place. It feels so like they like have that quarterback, that, that you want to be your role model. He's good enough to start this year. You have an offensive mind head coach and a pretty – like, they were – they seem to be trending to be that team that obviously That was the plan. Yeah, that was out. the plan. And it failed. You know, and like another team that has tried this was the Packers with Jordan Love. You know, they traded up to draft a guy to have him sit. I believe they had the pillars, and they had good reason to believe they that they did have the pillars to develop him. The problem though with that one is that like again, it's one thing to think a guy has some chance to eventually become the alien versus he's shown that already. And Jordan Love you know, there's a reason he was available late in the first round because he threw 20 touchdowns to 17 picks playing in the Mountain West Conference. Again, like you said, like it's not I don't want to like write off a kid and say he can't become something. But that's still a different conversation to me than Patrick Mahomes. who threw 41 touchdowns and 10 picks in college. Like he was incredible. The difference, the challenge with Mahomes was it was just no one bought quarterbacks coming from the air raid. It was such a big transition. So then, what's the answer? Oh, give him Andy Reid and Alex Smith and let him sit for a year. Like, that's the way to get to bridge that gap that's there. But if the gap is this guy doesn't play, like for, for Jordan Love, is just turn it over all the time, is highly inaccurate. That's a harder bridge to gap. Doesn't mean it can't happen because another guy who had some accuracy issues was Josh Allen, who is an alien. And
0: Love. then that
1: one took three years of development and was different. Love is a
0: good example because,
1: um, like, He's
0: the guy that I remember from the last couple of years that people threw Mahomes around the most on. Like, I feel like everything I read about Jordan Love was, hey, he could be Patrick Mahomes. Like, there's all this stuff here, but he could be Patrick Mahomes. There's all this stuff here, but he could be Patrick Mahomes. I mean, I guess we don't really know what Jordan Love's going to be yet. um, But I don't think he's Patrick Mahomes. Otherwise, Aaron Rodgers would probably have played somewhere else last year, right?
1: Yeah, and that was all built on Jordan Love's junior year. He threw 32 touchdowns, six picks, and ran for seven touchdowns. So that's what people got got excited about. He just took a huge step back his senior year, and I think it I, – I, I just don't know if they judge that critically enough. I know they want to – you want to look for the – see the best in somebody and bring that back out. But at the same time, if a guy is really starting to struggle in the Mountain West Conference, like – that that's still a different conversation than Josh Allen was, but you're well, right. Colts, it's, it's one of I mean, the the
0: Colts. The Colts ultimately, the Colts ultimately decided not to. I mean, yeah. and and like I said, we we still we still don't actually know what Jordan Love is. I mean, I think we have an idea, but you know, at some point he's probably going to get a shot in Green Bay. Who knows? Who knows what and the I, outcome of who knows what the outcome of Aaron Rodgers sitting in the dark for four days is? Um, yeah. That's so strange. <laughs> Apologies to anybody out here who's done a darkness retreat. That's very weird to me.
1: Darkness retreat to see if I want to play football again. It's that's a weird way to discover your love of the game, but you know, he's taken his all back. But that's a good lesson to it, though, is what was the key difference in developing Jordan Love versus Patrick Mahomes? is one guy learned from Alex Smith and the other guy is learning from Aaron Rodgers, it's it doesn't work for everybody.
0: Um, well, and I think the other thing is just Mahomes is just a better player,
1: you know, yeah. like and was in college too, that's like you the, said, the key, like you said difference. the big,
0: like you said the big thing with Mahomes coming out was air raid quarterbacks weren't good. The thing with Jordan Love was Jordan Love wasn't good his last year. Yeah. Um, so that's 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 this is this is actually turned into a pretty interesting discussion. But that's that's one lesson from from the Chiefs is man, it'd be really nice to have an alien at quarterback. Um, yeah. I Think when we get to the Eagles here, we can discuss the other side of the quarterback question.
1: Yeah, I had some on that. Um,
0: I guess but, we'll, well, we'll let's just, just ping pong
1: for a second. Let's or do you want to go? You, what do you want to do? Do you want to go quarterback first? Do you want to go Chiefs first? Uh, well, I was I thought we would just ping pong back and forth on lessons. So you throw one out, I throw one out. Yeah, that works. Let's do that. Go because okay. I got a different one that is actually about both of them, which is that. Championship teams are built on the defensive line, and the Colts have figured that out in ways that they maybe sagged a little bit on before last year, but came around on it. They just didn't have the rest of the picture. But if you look at the top six teams in defensive line spending this year, just go down the list. Number one, Chiefs. Number two, Jets. Number three, Bengals. Number four, Eagles. Number five, 49ers. Number six, Colts. Four of those top six made were the final four teams and the other two were the jets and the colts and the big difference there is those two were sunk by their passing games by their quarterback play primi- primarily but you know and, and offensive line for indy and all that but goes to show like kansas city and philly when you get to this level the playoffs and like teams are evenly matched and you know loaded rosters and good quarterback playing good coaching good prep and all that like you need those guys who can sort of take over in moments those guys who those positions that are less you know just a little bit less schemable less uh don't know, less development base that you need dudes at and i think defensive line has become that area and the, the teams that are here really like they're great at it because they've invested in it they didn't they're not developing you know late picks to do it uh, chris jones gets a massive contract after being a first round pick uh, you you think about like Philadelphia, they just keep going at Philly keeps going at it, I and mean, they've signed some great deals like Hassan Redick. I don't know how they got him that cheap, but over years they they've done it. Uh, you know, he has named a big name there, but Jordan Davis is going to be that next guy that they just keep adding to that. Those other teams have have done it too, and then Indy this year took more of the step in that direction by I'd say over really it's been building this way when they spent their first two picks the year before on Quade Dio Dangbo. Had Ballard, to wait a dial.
0: Chris Ballard's always believed in the defensive line. He's just done a bad job of building it. That's the thing. Yeah, he, right. Like he's he's done a poor job of he's done a poor job of getting like he's always said he wants eight to nine guys you can rotate, which is the Philly defensive line to a T. Yeah. Like he's just done a bad job of getting that kind of depth. They've usually been at like four to five guys that they can rotate, or five to six. And the the difference with me, I think, with him is. It's not so much the front-line spending. He does a bad – he's done a poor job of bringing in – like, they cut him. But, like, if Fadi Odenigbo was a good example of production from, like, veteran guys that they filled out some of those spots with, you know? Like, he traded the first-round pick for Buckner. He spent money on Justin Houston. He spent money on Jabal Sheard. Got good production out of them. But he they they, they always have to keep asking these guys to do a ton – and a big part of that is that he just relied so much on second round picks that didn't pan out. Um for yeah. different reasons, for different reasons in some cases, like Kamoko Ture probably could have been that guy, but he blew out he completely blew up his ankle. Um and uh Taequann Lewis has kind of been in and out of the lineup injury wise. Then then you have people like Ben Bannigu or Terrell Basham, who just never turned into anything. Um, but that he was trying to build some of it through the draft. And I think the lesson from the Eagles specifically is, like, don't necessarily count on those guys. Go out and get, you know, some of these veterans. Like, he's not on this year's yeah, team, but like ready. I think about, I think about like Vinny Curry from their first team, who didn't cost a ton, and like the numbers don't look, like, but he was a huge part of that first that defensive line on the first Super Bowl. Like, go go get those seven, eight, nine. Well. Another good example: the Eagles this year they lose two defensive they lose their two big defensive tackles, and what did they do? They went out and signed Linval Joseph and Damakong Su, who aren't the same players they used to be, but they're still good
1: players who know how to play in the NFL. Well, and then when you when you limit their snaps because you have so much depth there, that's when you can bring out like those guys can still play at a high level just for you know a lot less of the game than they used to. And defensive linemen, they just especially vets, they just have in the playoffs they just have this sort of internal body clock of when to. Crank it up and make those plays that maybe they can't do every single down, but that you see old pass rushers make that difference all the time. Like we were just talking about, uh, we expect Demarcus Ware to get into the Hall of Fame tonight. Like the, his that postseason run when he helped with the, Von Miller carry the Broncos to a championship and they could barely score always stands out in my mind. Uh, with Ballard though, you're right. He's he's always invested in it. I guess what I was kind of referring to when it's when I'm saying he got back to it is there was just a little bit of a lull in there when uh, when he let. Uh, Danico Autry walk and didn't really go after someone ready to go. But looking back, what I think that was, there was just a disconnect between how he really wanted to build and use those investments versus what that coaching staff under Matt Eberflus was going to do with edge rushers. And it took certain guys off the board that now come back on the board that they are in a different scheme, like Yannick Ngakwe. He went out right out and traded for him. You know, I think about a guy in the Eagles, like Josh Sweat fell to the fourth round because he's just, a, you know, he's a smaller guy who's considered just just a situational pass rusher. Guess what? That's fine when he rips off 11 sacks and you get that on a rookie yeah. contract. Like those are the kind of guys that you got to find a role for him. He doesn't have to be your every down guy, but you know whether it's Nadam Kinsu playing a few snaps here and there or Josh Sweat playing third downs. Like you can build with something closer to what the Eagles have, where they have they have 70 sacks, which is just unbelievable. It's 12 more than any other team. The closest they came with one of those with one
0: of those picks to getting that kind of guy was Ture. His first five games in 19 were really good. Like he looked like a real guy, and his ankle injury was so severe. Um, now I know that generally Iberflus had trouble playing those guys, but he was playing him in 19 and the way he was playing I think you would have had to keep playing him he 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 blew up his ankle like there's there's no other way to put it I mean I could I could go through the actual medical stuff of it but they had to do it he had to do multiple surgeries on his ankle Um, I think that's the closest they came to getting like a Josh Sweat type player like somebody that they could develop into a pass rusher and he just his ankle blew up. I think I think the worst ones are more like the Ben Bannegoo and Basham picks, where like the guy
1: Ben Bannegoo has never turned into anything. To
0: in me, that's, the, coaching, big that's the big difference
1: here in multiple coaching systems. The Colts are six in D line spending. Like they're they're close to this group, especially when you add in the draft picks. The difference is like like you said, hitting on it. Josh Sweat, fourth round pick, more exceeds his draft slot by getting 11 sacks. If they got that out of Ben Bannegoo. And, you know that would have moved them to 55 sacks this year and and it just trickle it just trickles out a lot because i think the one thing holding them back this year was just those depth concerns the injuries that formed a quitty pay you had dio Dango who came on later but you know was still kind of getting back after the achilles tear taekwon lewis getting hurt they needed that like that that second round pick they spent on an edge rusher to deliver and be that guy so if they can I, I, basically I'm saying Chris Ballard's on the right track with this and and that's where like trading for DeForest Buckner you know that guy almost won his team a Super Bowl right before they did it these guys are huge in these big moments it's just like he, he's tapping on that ceiling but to, to really get there yeah you, you do have to cash in a little bit more on on the picks you do make and then like I said they gotta now that they're you know in a different scheme be a little we'll see what they are going forward uh but be a little bit more open-minded to like a Josh Sweat type that you, you can you can find a role for him and make him fit. I just think between this year's Eagles and some other teams like that, that Broncos team I mentioned just goes to show you can never have too many pass rushers, never too many different types of bodies. Just guys keep throwing at them. And when the Colts played the Eagles this year, that was the main thing that Colts offensive line talked about is how different it was to prepare for Brandon Graham versus Hassan Reddick versus Josh Sweat. The body types, uh, it just it, it it's, a, it's a layered attack that can really, really pay off this time of year. Yeah, my biggest problem is like Ballard's
0: always said 8 or 9. He's just never actually given them 8 or 9. You know, yeah. that's that's the thing. And I wrote about this. I wrote about some of these Eagles lessons uh, when they played them and just saying that the Eagles, the Eagles and the the Eagles and the 49ers are the best examples of the team that Chris Ballard's always talked about building. Like the stuff he says the stuff he says he wants to do can win. And you you've seen it with the Eagles now twice. You've seen it with the Niners making it to the Super Bowl and just always being in the mix no matter what happens to quarterback. Like you you can see like the realization of that vision. My problem with him is my problem with Ballard is that he hasn't done enough to realize his own vision. Does that make sense? Like yeah. Yeah, he he's not making true. he's not making the aggressive plays that Howie Roseman does um or John Lynch does to kind of fill up some of those depth spots. Like there's too much counting sometimes on draft picks and not bringing in enough guys. Who can take honestly take Ben Bangu's spot and get him off the team two years ago uh, instead of him playing a,
1: an active role on the roster for two years? yeah, he doesn't he's he has the right idea and a lot of the right pieces just not finishing the deal and uh yeah, I mean I'm gonna have another one of these later once it comes back to me, but on team building, but it's just I think howie Roseman has learned from some of the lessons that has you know that Chris Baller's learning now in a, in a good lesson of good example of how Chris Ballard said people aren't allowed to fail. We just kind of cancel them and kick them out. I think it's very true for general managers and head coaches. We very often quickly decide they're either good or bad rather than something in between or evolving between those. And there are lessons here. The reason I think this it's fun to do this is that these are lessons that they need to learn. And Chris Ballard is thinking through a lot of these things. And uh, there are a lot of examples in these two teams I think that, that he can work with because they are the teams he wants to build. And 49ers, too. Very similar. Roseman, Roseman's a good example,
0: because Roseman actually was allowed to fail. Jeffrey, Jeffrey Lurie allowed him to kind of make some mistakes and figure some stuff out. Um,
1: yep. All right, what's your next one?
0: Uh, lessons from the two Super Bowl teams. Um, oh. The uh, The three-technique defensive tackle. Is not a position that doesn't matter. That's been bandied about for a while now. Like, why are we investing in DeForest Buckner? Like the three that let's positions that matter most, that people talk about mattering most are edge rusher, cornerback, left tackle, quarterback. Why are those positions important? Because they directly affect the passing game. The three technique defensive tackle, if you have a really, really, really good one, which the Colts do, the Colts have a I don't know if he's, he's not on
1: Chris Jones' level or Aaron Donald level, but he's the next guy or the next two guys or three saying, guys. I was going to say, last year's Super Bowl kind of shattered a lot of that narrative. But then people just said, but well, you kept doing Aaron it this, Donald's every,
0: different. Everyone kept saying it this year, too. Like, why are we investing in, in defensive tackle, in, in a three-technique defensive tackle? It's a pass-rushing position. It's primarily a pass-rush position. Therefore, it should be looked at the same way that edge rusher is, right? Regardless of... Regardless of whether or not they're putting up the 15-sack-type the number, like the pressures and everything, that matters just as much. Having somebody like DeForest Buckner, if they had better, more consistent talent on the edges, uh, would be enormous. And if you go back and watch – the Colts talked about this when they got DeForest Buckner, but if you go back and watch the Super Bowl, he played it, and he almost won that game for them. He would have been the MVP for the Niners. Um, so, like – I, I understand. I understand that you know people have issues with some of the places that the Colts have invested. My argument is, you can't watch what Chris Jones did to the Bengals, or what Aaron Donald essentially won the game last year for the Rams, um, and say that that position doesn't matter. It's it's a primary pass rushing position, and it's also a primary pass rushing position that it's hard to find a difference maker at. It's a lot easier to find an edge guy who can be productive. And if, even if he's not an elite guy, then it is to find a three technique who can be productive if he's not an elite
1: guy. It's basically the elite three techs or nothing. Yeah, look at the guys who've been messing this up from the interior in the playoffs at three technique. You think Aaron Donald, DeForest Buckner, Chris Jones, Fletcher Cox, those guys all cost a ton. Like you're not like, those are not value picks that you're just throwing out there. You know, and it's, yeah, it's one of those where like three technique I think because, like, what happened the year before when DeForest Buckner, he had, was number two in the league in a uh, number of double teams, only behind Aaron Donald. And the difference is that the payoff people didn't see as much in his sack total and the team's sack total, because, like you said, they just they weren't good enough on the edge. But uh, that position is very key when you can have an alien, like either Aaron Donald's just outrageous speed or Chris Jones's power or DeForest Buckner's power and length, is that, like, when you can create that interior pressure, get right in the face of a quarterback, you can throw a playoff before it gets to the next four steps. That's a way to really mess with someone like Kyle Shanahan, Andy Reid, is don't let them get into their bag if you can mess it up the second that it's starting. Like well. Andy Reid, for example, does these things where he'll send, he'll send a receiver in motion right before the snap so it reveals coverage and it moves a defender and it just it screws up the spacing. If that three technique blows it up and gets in the face of the quarterback, he sort of erases any of the advantages that he just learned with that, and it messes. Like that's how you get, that's how you can beat an Andy Reid is like players over plays, and and I think three technique is one of the few spots in the field that like you just can't avoid it. If there's a late cornerback, you know it's that's great to have. You can throw it to other guys. Um, I think even edge pressure sometimes can be easier to handle because for for a lot of pocket stationary quarterbacks, because you can sort of step up. You could put a step tight up. end next to them. Yep. Uh, it's just very hard to deal with an Aaron Donald or a DeForest Buckner. So that's why teams double team them all the time. That's what you want, though. You just have to, like, to our last point, build the rest of your D line out to where you make them pay either way, even if they do that. Well, and let's if we just go through the defensive
0: lines we just we just mentioned as uh, some of like the real dif- difference making defensive lines. I'll start with Denver. Everyone remembers Von Miller and Demarcus Ware, and they were great. Like they were absolutely great. But they also got like career best seasons from Derek Wolf and Malik Jackson. Lee Jackson got like a gazillion dollars from the Jaguars off of that season. Um, the Eagles, the Eagles defensive line, the one that won in in uh, that beat the Patriots, that defensive line had good edge rushers, but not like elite edge rushers. The elite player on that defensive line was Fletcher Cox. Yeah, uh, the, the Super Bowl between the Chiefs and the Niners, that was basically DeForest Buckner versus Chris Jones until Mahomes kind of got loose late. Uh, Aaron Donald last year, Chris Jones getting them getting that getting the Chiefs to the Super Bowl this year with whatever everyone has been talking about is just an unbelievable game. Like, I, 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 I'm what I'm saying is I'm agreeing with everyone's premise that the most important positions in the NFL are positions that affect the passing game. All I'm saying is three technique defensive tackle is one of those, and that's been true for as long as the NFL has been around. Why? Who was the best player, the best pure player on the Tampa Bay defense that won the Super Bowl? It Was Warren Sapp. Warren Sapp's yeah. the best oh, player on yeah. that team, you know. And and Mean Joe Green with Pittsburgh. Like that, I know that that's a running time, but even back then, passing game efficiency had a big big role in who who won games. Like
1: if well, you have pass
0: rushing, defensive tackle,
1: it matters. Because they're hitting the passer. That's all that matters. And in the, the Chiefs this year, obviously their best players are Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey. They happen to have two of the like five best players in the entire NFL. But the best player in their defense, that's not even a conversation. That is Chris Jones. And that's how they beat the Bengals. Is he just destroyed the one weakness that they had, which was those offensive line injuries. And again, took some of Joe Burrow out of his bag. Is you know Removed some of the advantages that you get in the pre-snap looks. And everything that quarterbacks are able to do by creating that instant pressure in the face. That's how the last two years, that's how Joe Burrow's been knocked out. This mass, this this quick master of the quarterback, these explosive skill players, and all these positions we talk about mattering the most because they affect the passing game. The Bengals have gone far with that. But they've been knocked out by Aaron Donald and Chris Jones in the end. That's how valuable that position can be.
0: Yeah, I mean, if, if the Rams have anybody other than Aaron Donald playing defensive tackle for them, the Bengals won the Super Bowl last year. Mm-hmm. Because Jamar Chase was open <laughs> on the play that, that that Donald got to burrow at the end, wide open. So it's 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 a pass rushing position. Pass rushing
1: positions matter. So you, mm-hmm. on to yours. Yeah, uh, my other one is that uh, offensive lines do matter. They just can't be the entire offense. So when you look at the way these teams have been built, they these are two of the most dominant offensive lines in the league. Both top five in rushing DVOA. Uh, top 10 and in all these other metrics you want to look at, like adjusted line yards and football outsiders is a good metric for what offensive lines do. And they, they've spent up on it. They didn't just, you know, they didn't just coach them up. They, they, those teams are Philly is third in offensive line spending Kansas city is eighth. But the difference there is that's not the only thing they're spending on, on offense. And you look at these two teams spending when I say spending, I mean draft picks and uh, in cash so the Eagles, you know, they went out, they've gone all after offensive weapons, spending a top 10 pick on Devontae Smith, trading a first round pick and a huge deal to A.J. Brown. That's how they've added to their offense. And then the Chiefs obviously have done it with Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey and was issue with the Kansas City, which that's the team because Chris Bauer came from there. It's it's very easy to make these parallels because he he knows that roster better. And a lot of his lessons have come directly from what they've done over the years. When they, you know, when they had to eventually pay their quarterback this when that kicked in for Mahomes, they let, they traded away uh, Tyreek Hill, you know, but, but what they ended up doing is they vested even more in that offensive line. Once they had their quarterback set, they said, we've got to protect him. We've got to make this guy, like, we don't want to even envision a world without Patrick Mahomes out there. And we want to give him, you know, we want to give him the time to do his thing. And, And I was just talking to Mitchell Schwartz this week, who was, uh, you know, who played for played right tackle all pro for the Chiefs up until 2020. And he said like they ended up developing this mindset of uh, protection beats coverage, is that they felt like they would get out of this. They would end up winning if they could be dominant uh, pass blockers. It's the same kind of team that, that Ballard came in and tried and built for Andrew Luck. And it looked really good at the start when he had Anthony Costanzo at left tackle, Quentin Nelson at left guard a younger Ryan Kelly in his prime at center that they drafted in the first round. Like they, they were going after, uh, you know, I know, right. He inherited some, of you know, inherited Ryan Kelly and, uh, in Casazza, but he's invested in it. When you had the quarterback set, like that's where that payoff comes out. But what Ballard's done, like, again, we talk about finishing the job. It's one thing to invest in this group. It's also another thing to do it right. And for all the money they spent most in the league, the Colts spent $41 million this year in the offensive line. Despite all that, they were relying on some things that were pretty flimsy, as we found out. Matt Pryor at left tackle, Danny Pinter at right guard, new positions for players who were, like I said, completely unproven at those positions. When I said, like, Howie Roseman's learned from some lessons, example for him is that he messed up the offensive line back in 2020. That was just a total mess, and that's part of why it fell apart with Carson Wentz. And he, like you said, he got to learn that lesson, though. Doug Peterson lost his job over that. Howie Roseman got to reassess and say, what did I do wrong? And now he's just, he's gone all after depth on that offensive line. And to the point where this year they drafted Cam Jurgens in the second round to be a backup. Now, that's the advantage you have when you don't have very many holes, is you can draft for future need. But if, if Chris Ballard had some guard to step in, like a like a Cam Juergens second round pick, when Danny Pinter doesn't work, we're probably having a very different conversation this year. So it's just sort of like he, again, has the right idea invest in the offensive line, but it's finishing the deal to me with depth on that group but also not making that the only thing you spend on offense.
0: Yeah, the uh, – the I actually think that the Eagles kind of give a blueprint for how to get out of this with the offensive line. Um, I mean, you have to de- – you have to believe that Bernard Ryman – is it was showing signs at the end, which I think most people agree he was. Uh, most football people agree that he was showing signs. He still obviously had issues with the big the big mistakes. but um, that 2020 season, like one of the things to remember about the the Eagles Left tackle is that it's Jordan Milata. It was a guy who had never played football and uh, took a little while to get going. And there was a point where I was reading Philadelphia stories about how they weren't really sure if he was going to be the guy. You know, they drafted Andre Dillard at one point. Um, so you need you need Ryman to kind of have the same trajectory that Milata did, where like all of a sudden the the football catches up with the physical. Um, but the other part is that, that's that I think is instructive about how, how the Eagles rebuilt their offensive line is they had rocks at two positions, right tackle and center. Um, center is not considered a premium position. The Colts' rocks, I think, are probably at left guard and right tackle. It, w- what they do with Kelly, I don't know. Um, that's probably a, a discussion for when we get closer to the combine. and We can ask Ballard some of those questions to the head coaching questions. Um, but I think they have two rocks they can build around. And I think the Eagles show that you can take, the, take, two or, take two or three pieces from a previous line that was good, get rid of what wasn't working, and rebuild around it. And now, again... Left tackle is incredibly important. But there is there is precedent, you know, for guys that are again, raw starting out. My lotta obviously raw starting out, Ryman, Raw starting out, only played the position for two years in college. And and them developing. So you're gonna need that, but you also probably should do more to to buttress the left tackle position. And then, like you said, like the depth matters. You just you just have to have good depth. They didn't have it this year.
1: Yeah. And left tackle is that's the one part of this that I think is just it's just so hard to be looking for a left tackle and a quarterback because those often require the same avenues, first round picks to actually get them. But it's is of those these final four teams, you know, the Eagles are sort of the exception there where they were, they went with a project Jordan Mailata, they made it work. I think partly with well scheme. they even
0: but they but but to but to your point, they tried with a first round pick too. It's just that the yeah, the project
1: true. the project beat out the first round pick. That's a good point. The other four teams in the final four though all have uh, first round left tackles two of them though were traded for the, the Chiefs traded for Orlando Brown and the the 49ers traded for Trent Williams and they just went all after those and it, it sort of let them 49ers especially let them deal with some instability at quarterback to have both of those when your quarterback and your left tackle are both a problem that's when you're a mess that's what the Eagles were in 2020 and they've they've kind of worked their way back but uh, that's the one that's, that's incredibly hard. And that's where, like you said, now that they're in this road with Bernard Ryman, they've got to, I think there's some lessons they can learn with how the Eagles have made Jordan Ma- Maelotta work. Uh, just the system that they have, the RPO uh, the RPO system, the fact that you know, they, they've really built up their tight end group to help him out there. Uh, there's just, there's little things like that that I think they can they can learn when your left tackle is not perfect. And certainly Ryman is not perfect yet. But at the same time, like we said, you need... I think they'll make the same mistake if they go into next year and the only option at left we'll tackle is Bernard Ryman because we're not at the right. point yet of saying that position's right. settled.
0: Right. Um, my my last one is just support and develop your offense around whatever quarterback you're drafting, whether it's Richardson, whether it's Shroud, whether it's Levis. Like Jalen Hurts was a second-round pick. The NFL was not sold on Jalen Hurts but he's been successful because of what Nick Sirianni and Shane Steichen have done to accentuate his strengths and because of what they put around him. And then this is, this is not, you know, this isn't something that everyone doesn't know, but I, I think teams mess it up a lot. Um, teams, teams mess this up a lot. And whoever, so whoever they're going to draft and whoever the coach is just make, make everything with your offense about making that player comfortable and, and then, and, and getting him, getting him going. And then, who knows what you might get out of it I I don't think anybody saw Jalen Hurts being an MVP candidate this year um and and I I don't think anyone looks at him as being like a top five quarterback at this point in his career but the Eagles have given him an offense that he can win with you know and Mm -hmm. and part of that is the personnel part of that is the scheme part of that is just understanding your quarterback and developing it around him and so that's that's Whatever they do with this coaching, whatever they're about to do with this coaching thing, whoever takes over this job, that that's that's got to be priority number one is figuring out like, what do we have to do for this this quarterback we're about to draft to make sure that they have a chance to
1: develop. Yeah, it's I think understanding who your quarterback is and isn't is everything for this because Jalen Hurts is clearly an imperfect quarterback. He came in in the second round, uh, in, in stepped in and. By the time they by the time he was ste- he stepped in there, I mean, the issue for him was at that period in time, there just was not a lot of you know accuracy and and touch across the middle of the field. He wasn't seeing the game that way uh, early on either. So what they did was they really changed a lot middle of last year when Nick Sirianni gave up play calling to Shane Steichen, and they they just evolved that offense to where it was so run heavy, using Hertz's legs and playing off that with their backs. But when he would throw, he threw, you know, they had to throw outside the numbers. They threw to the places he was best at. Of course, what happens to the NFL though, of course, over time, like teams learn your tendencies. They learn like you're gonna they're gonna force you to do what you can't do. And when it got late in the season in the playoffs, teams forced Jalen Hurts to try and beat him, and he wasn't ready yet as a second year player. So what the Eagles did to then complement that was they go out and they trade for AJ Brown this guy that can drag across the middle of the field, this guy who's open when he's not open. It's sort of this easy read in the middle of the field that Jalen Hurts could learn to trust, and that sort of ended up developing the rest of it out there. But it's understanding, like, most quarterbacks, uh, almost everyone has a weakness, and you have to play around it. So if they the Colts end up drafting, like, C.J. Stroud, you know, he made great strides at the Peach Bowl handling pressure, but one of his challenges early that we've seen is is – pressure so that offensive line and and the way that they they build that out and the the protections and all of that um there's a lot of things you can do with scheme and personnel there to to give yourself a better chance and the problem is like you said when teams mess it up is when i don't think they put a lot of thought into that they ask the quarterback to play hero ball or they just don't tailor the system and that's what the bears have been with justin fields until sort of second half of this year when they finally kind of got their act together and then we saw a little bit more of what he could be but the same same thing same thing with yeah. Trevor
0: Lawrence. Same thing with Trevor Lawrence. You saw oh, yeah. him kind of take off with the, in Doug Peterson's offense this year after being asked to run You know, whatever was going on in Jacksonville last year and dealing with all that too. You know, you you give a guy what they like and you start to see some of their skills come out. I mean, you could also try to give a guy what they like and they falter and you made the wrong pick. But your best chance is to give, give a guy something that he feels comfortable in and then expand off of that.
1: Yep. For sure. Um, So my last one that I'll throw out here, a little little bit more specific, but I think that the I think there's a lot of value to find at safety. I think it's a market that has not caught up to the others in terms of what it costs to get players. But they just this time of year always seem to make a big, big difference. So the Eagles went out and they traded a day three pick swap to get C.J. Gardner Johnson from the Saints and he now has six interceptions the most in the NFL but that did not cost very much to get a guy who's making a huge difference with six interceptions because what always happens in the playoffs is at some point your quarterback has to win the game with his arm that's how championships are won and teams that have gotten this far i think have have kind of nailed that back end without having to go over the top they don't have to spend first round picks sign crazy deals you know i think about like the the chiefs signed Justin Reed you know when Tyrian Matthew got too expensive and that's let them, uh, I think they're like 31st now in secondary spending, but they're able to do it because they're getting bang for their buck when they sign a Justin Reed. And he's as good of a player as he is. The Bengals did this with Von Bell. Um, the, the, you know, these guys, these schemable chess pieces. Uh, and I think that's another thing that the Colts are, I think these are lessons. They kind of have figured that out because he went out and got Rodney McLeod and he, I think would would have been one of these guys we talk about if he was on a different team, because he had that sort of ability to make uh quarterbacks pay and, and be that guy who brings together, you know, brings that veteran leadership to the back end of a defense and makes it whole. And that he was huge for the Colts this year. They just didn't have the rest of this picture. But he is now a free agent and he's considering retirement. We'll see what they do there. But it like that's a that's a, a well I think they can keep going back to. It'll be interesting to see if they do because and they traded for Nick Cross, sat in for a year. You'd think the plan there is to play a guy that you, that you invested that in. Rodney Thomas looks like a player. So there's possible they look at it and they say, you know, maybe we we'll just roll with this. And that may be fine. I don't think this upcoming year with a rookie quarterback or first-year head coach is a year where you necessarily feel like, uh, you know, you're that close to a title. But at the same time, it, like a Rodney McLeod cost them, what, $1.7 million. Like You 1. just don't 7, lose much. $1.7
0: yep. Yeah,
1: you you don't lose much investing there, even if you decide to end up playing a young guy anyway. And it's something that I think ends up paying a huge uh, dividends in the playoffs when teams have to win with their arm late in the game. Okay, so to wrap this up, uh, who's your Super Bowl pick? Uh, My Super Bowl pick along those same lines is the Chiefs, because I think at some point in this battle, these two incredible rosters, incredibly well-schemed offenses and defenses Eventually, they're going to put it on the quarterbacks to win with their arms. We know Mahomes can do that. He's had a couple weeks to rest that ankle now. Uh, still waiting to see it from Jalen Hurts. And not just the, the ability, but I, I'm just curious where his shoulder's at. It seemed to be really hurting him. And I think they got off facing Daniel Jones and Brock Purdy pre-surgery, you know, in the playoffs. This is a totally different battle for them going up against Patrick Mahomes. And I just I think ultimately they'll fall a little short at that, you know, because of that position in the Gulf that Mahomes creates against almost anybody else? Uh, I
0: I picked the Eagles on Kevin and Perry's show, so I'm going to have to just stick with that. Um, I don't feel good about it. Normally, you should pick the best quarterback. I was picking the deepest defense. That's probably a bad idea, but hey, I'm well, already there. It doesn't matter. It's just a prediction, so...
1: It's a tough game to pick because along those same lines, Mahomes lost his Super Bowl because he went up against a pass rush. He yeah, couldn't that was him.
0: that was what I was thinking when they when they asked me this on on uh, 1070 the other day. Was I was thinking and about kind of that
1: matchup that'll decide is if Kansas City has a great offensive line, can they hold up against one of the best pass rushes, total team pass rushes I've ever seen? That's going to be kind of a matchup that that mm-hmm. we'll see if Mahomes can end up winning on. You know, I just think it like for the Chiefs, they've got to have kind of along the same lines chris jones take over the game like they're gonna go up against a great offensive line but chris jones can beat good offensive line if he does that and makes you know gives gives some problems to, to jalen hurts um while also he's dealing with with that shorter issue and having to make throws that maybe he hasn't had to make all the time um uh, that's kind of where i'm at but it these are these are the two best teams i kind of have no doubt about that once you add in that they both have mvp contenders at quarterback which That was the one thing that held the 49ers back. Yeah, it seems like an exciting matchup. It seems like an exciting matchup.
0: Some of them go the way you expect them to. Some of them don't. Like, I I was thinking about the last time the Eagles were in the Super Bowl. And all week, everyone was talking about, like, (laughs) can the Eagles defense keep the Patriots from scoring enough to make up for their offense? And instead, like, Nick Foles plays, like, the best game of of a lot of people's careers. 40 points. (laughs) Against against Belichick, it just and wins a shootout, you know. Uh, and I think those Super Bowls are the memorable ones when they when you have like just back and forth. I think we got a real chance for back and forth. So for the Colts Cover Two podcast, we're going to wrap it up for this week. Uh, barring obviously you know news breaking over the next couple of days, but it doesn't sound like that's going to happen. Uh, enjoy the Super Bowl and then dial in next week for what, what sounds like the, uh, the first chance to see it what the new direction of this franchise is going to be from a head coaching position.